Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. Today is going to be another news episode. I wanted to get Victor on this time, but um, he's in no condition to speak right now. He he's managed to you know hang out with the local soldiers in Ukraine, and I think he got um, you know he a bit overdid with the local moonshine. <laughs> but it's fun, you know. He's going to be back. He's uh, gathering valuable information for us. Meanwhile, quite a lot of things that I wanted to talk about today, including another letter about Middle East from Igor Girkin himself. He's still in prison, going to stay there until the 18th of December, at the very least, till my name's day, by the way. Um, that's a thing that we celebrate here, uh, at least here in Eastern Europe. But um, I want to talk about all the, things that have, all the things that have happened, both in Avdeyevka and in Berdyansk. First of all, I want to get to Berdyansk, and that includes attack missiles. See, on October 17th, Volodymyr Zelensky reported that the Ukrainian armed forces had launched these attack missiles for the first time. The United States provided, obviously. He said that, quote, our agreements with President Biden are being implemented, and they're being imp- implemented very accurately. The attacks have proven themselves. And yeah, hours earlier, Wall Street Journal had reported that, uh, you know, they, uh, they had secretly been sent to Ukraine, a small number of these Missiles of the range of about 160 kilometers. Of course, Washington has not officially acknowledged the shipment, well, not until um, the point where I record this episode, and neither Zelensky nor the Washington, neither the Wall Street Journal, revealed what targets Ukraine used the, we- the new weapons to strike. However, it was quite obvious because this was, this was when uh, the airfield in the occupied Berdyansk was, was struck, where Russia, by the way, used to store the attack helicopters that they have used to repel Kyiv's offensive in southern Ukraine. Additionally, Russian and Ukrainian telegram channels posted photos, a lot of them, purposely taken in Berdyansk, that show fragments of these missiles, while a video was over there that appears to show multiple fires at the airfield. But what exactly are these Atakums missiles, and why they make a big deal? See, these are a... Uh, the Atakums is a long-range tactical ballistic missile they can be launched from the, from our usual high Mars systems, or well, M two hundred and seventy MLRS. Its range, one hundred and fifty to three hundred kilometers, depending on the modification, is several times greater than the other missiles at Ukraine's disposal, such as the GMLRS and the M twenty six, which have a range of ninety kilometers approximately. The Atakums also carries significantly more powerful warheads, four hundred and fifty kilograms, or. Uh, 922 pounds, what a weird number, and the GMLRS, which was only 90 kilograms. Obviously, when they're launched from these systems, they also are kind of hidden from the view. It's kind of the, the box looks like with traditional missiles, but it shoots, you know, these atoms. That again, not like Russia has managed to destroy any of these HIMARS before, so, but still, a bit of a, a, bit of a security precaution. Ukraine's military, by the way, does have other long-range missiles, including... <laughs> including the English or French Storm Shadow or Sculp, same thing really, missiles, whose range and warhead capacity with the modifications of the ones provided to Ukraine are not vastly different from those of the Atacums. However, however, the Atacums has some substantial advantages. First of all, unlike Storm Shadow or Sculp missiles, the Atacums can be equipped with cluster warheads, which are very effective against large targets, such as airfields or, well, you know, groupings of troops and equipment and well, since Russian generals continue to pile them together, might provide very useful in the future. 
These HIMARS and MRLS launchers, which are conveniently used to launch Atacom's missiles, are quite difficult targets for enemy troops, because, well, they are <clears throat> high mobility. And they have short preparation time for firing, and they can be quickly moved from their firing position. In contrast, the aircraft from which cruise missiles like Storm Shadow are fired are vulnerable both in the air and on the airfields. Throughout the entire war so far, there has not been a single verified case of HIMARS or MLRS being successfully targeted, so that's, that's a bonus. Finally, Atacom's missile launches can be programmed and prepared in minutes. This allows them to hit even targets that may soon change locations, such as aircraft and hel helicopters on airfields or ships and harbors, the second one being very important. The target coordinates for Storm Shadow strikes, on the other hand, have to be programmed on the ground before the carrier aircraft takes off, and the entire process from planning a strike to hitting the target can take hours. Moreover, the carrier's departure from an airfield can be tracked by air defense systems, giving Russia some advance warning. As a result, Ukraine only uses Storm Shadow missiles to fire on stationary objects, such as ammunition depots and ships and dry docks. In addition, Atacom's missiles are about three times faster than cruise missiles, which makes it even easier for them to hit mobile targets. Other thing is that the, they are extremely difficult to hit by anti-air defenses. Atacoms are extremely safe against such, tar against such precautions as they fly with weird trajectories. And now we, now we come to the, well, interesting part of this whole thing, because a lot of these Z channels, they have been, like, paranoid about everything, and not, not just them, including, by the way, Mr. Solovyov himself, the chief propagandist. Solovyov, by the way, he went on a whole triad about the situation. He went into panic mode about Atacoms, just as, you know, many other Z guys do. Solovyov stated that, you know, uh, Russia should provide every weapon possible to every enemy of the United States so that, you know, United States would feel the burn and that they, they would feel that the ground itself is, is you know, trembling beneath the feet of the, of the American soldiers and all that whatnot. He, by the way, which was recently posted, well, in 2004, managed to state that, uh, quote, in, uh, in one of the, in his official site, no less, that um, if there's going to be a war in Israel, I will go there immediately. He posted about this because, you know, he's a, he used to be called a Russian Zionist and a Jewish patriot back then. Well, now he's kind of happy about uh, Israel burning. Then he kind of shifted away, but, you know, he has no morals anyways. At any rate, yeah, he, he was yelling about all this situation. And this Atticum strike has taken Russia by surprise. By a huge surprise, really, because... A lot of them, all these channels like Fighter Bomber, which is the most important, uh, most important telegram channel when it comes to well, airplanes and and uh, aerial, aerial military activities. Yeah, he's been doing crazy things about this. He's been in a panic mode, and everyone's angry. Apparently, there are huge losses, including equipment and manpower. And well, they are all very confused that nothing is being done. At the same time, Russia is now sort of doing a minor counteroffensive near Avdiivka as well, which is going horribly wrong. Horribly wrong. Russia is still doing all their meat assault, uh, meat, meat assault offensives, and losing insane amount of men. That is, well, like we spoke last time when Viktor was here. Well, that's good for Ukraine. However, in Ukraine, those soldiers, it's hard for them to participate in combat, really, which is pretty sad. But. At least, Russia is trying to pull off some victory. Vladimir Putin is, as per usual, utterly and 100% not informed about anything. And he's just, you know, mocking the fact that Ukraine is obviously losing if they need more equipment delivered to them. 
well, of course, Ukraine needs more weaponry delivered to them, and that is kind of, you know, weird. To be honest, I think that if uh, if the Western powers would have just delivered all the necessary equipment and arms and weapons to Ukraine at the beginning of the war, the war might as well be over at this point. But for now, for now it isn't. And at least I'm happy that slowly, but with some meaningful results, the Western world is getting, getting there with all the weapons deliveries that are necessary for Ukraine to beat back the Russian Russian occupiers. And again, what, what's, what kind of bothers me the most is the fact that every time one of these bigger Z channels, like this time, you know, they, they have been punched in the head a couple of times since Girkin's imprisonment, and we'll get to Girkin, don't worry about that. Since Girkin's imprisonment, they've been smacked on the head and said, no, no, you can't do this, you can't really... You can't really just say something bad about our our president or Shoigu or something like that. They don't want to repeat the well what happened with Prigozhin. However, there are cases where this goes over the line where they have to yell at, at about something about how there's incompetence and how there's you know damage being done. And of course, they're angry about the Atakam's stuff, but they're more worried about the Avdiivka thing, which is not moving at all and how there's disorganization everywhere, and how there's massive conflicts between um, the officers and the troops. And they're even more even more stupefied by the fact that, no, well, it turns out that against these missiles, yeah, you know, putting putting old tires on, <laughs> on airplanes does not really help. And they're just panicking, and they're all... They're all not 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 anymore. They're they're not criticizing Putin directly, but all the generals do get the heat. I'm starting to think that you know, as as they go more and more desperate, they still have some hope that the Russian government will change and that something will improve. Meanwhile, I do believe that that is quite much a false hope because, well, that incompetence is incurable. Or, well, as a lot of opposition journalists say, well, Russian bureaucracy simply cannot be taught anything. And it truly seems to be the case, because currently, well, everyone's been looking at Israel. However, we have <laughs> we have fun stuff. Uh, and meanwhile, in Russia segment, before we get to Igor Girkin, <clears throat> see, Vladimir Putin, to kind of describe the whole situation that their leadership is in and everything, uh, yeah, Vladimir Putin decided to visit the city of Perm. And in connection with his visit, Perm residents had their garages welded shut. This uh, plopped up, I think, yesterday, where Perm residents found out that they could not get into their own garages. The doors were welded shut, and they were like paper slips attached to them for security reasons, and apparently it was not recommended to open them throughout the whole Russia, a sporting power forum where Putin flew in. According to the Pro Perm channel, there are a lot of police patrols in the city center, traffic jams and road closures, and, uh, well, there are people who, who have spotted uh, soldiers with uh, man pads even everywhere. Which is a bit crazy if you think about it, because Perm is uh, up there in the north, and, well, they are just very much worried about their whole situation. But before we go to Girkin, I'd like to, well, remind you that we have a Patreon. Very thankful to all of our Patreon supporters. That that's, You're helping a lot. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash border. You can become our patron there. Please do. Please consider if you can. Or also, if you um, if you can't really, you know, afford a monthly subscription or something to by the way, get all of our shows without ads, then you can go to the Eastern Border and, you know, listen to the show there. And also, I'd be very happy if some of you click the donate button, which would be extremely nice. We also have a Discord channel, which is very active, and uh, I'm actively, actively working on making it better. 
We're going to be, we're going to be watching more movies soon with our patrons. I think it's going to be the second part of the national peculiarities, this time the peculiarities of the national fishing, which is going to be great. But uh, all that monetization aside, since I really hate doing monetization, Igor Girkin, who's again sitting in prison until the 18th of December, decided to analyze the situation in the Middle East. So, obviously, to keep up with our tradition, I ought to bring you, well, whatever Igor Girkin has decided to do this time. So, here is what he wrote about analyzing the situation in the Middle East with reference to Russian realities. He also notes that he's being forced to be brief. Point one. General assessment of the current situation. <clears throat> the conflict cannot be resolved through negotiations for two main reasons. Israel cannot swallow the consequences of the attack, as it will be seen both outside and inside, including in Israel itself and in the Palestinian Authority, as a critical weakness. This will lead to a soon repetition of the attack at a higher level. And this is already, already fraught not even with losses, but with a threat to the existence of the state itself. The second reason closely related to the first one, is that the Israeli public will not accept any reconciliatory steps until it considers itself sufficiently avenged. Any government will literally be swept away if it even promises something like this. The result minimally acceptable to the Israeli public can only be complete control over Gaza by direct military occupation, which is impossible without a long and very bloody ground operation involving large, tens of thousands of soldiers, contingents of ground forces. Here, Igor Girkin is underestimating Israeli troops. Because he says tens, and th- tens, tens of thousands of soldiers. Meanwhile, Israel has hundreds of thousands of soldiers, seeing that they had 160,000 uh, 160, people in active service. And then they also called up about 360,000. So, you know, Girkin's getting a bit shabby <laughs> while he's sitting in the prison. Carrying on, because we are not huge fans of him, except, you know, we probably should start selling even more T-shirts with Girkin on them. Additionally, this operation will inevitably lead to huge casualties among the population of Gaza, both as a result of direct fighting and in the densely populated urban areas, and to an even greater extent a humanitarian catastrophe, which in turn cannot leave the surrounding Arab and more broadly Muslim countries indifferent, whose public opinion will demand government intervention. Uh, yeah, uh, Ramzan Khadirov already has apparently stated that, you know, you wanted to help Ukraine, now you got Israel. Uh, he is, of course, a raging anti-Semite as... As is no surprise to any of us who has listened to this, that, you know, again, carrying on. In other words, once started, the conflict cannot fade away due to a multitude of closely intertwined objective and subjective factors. It will almost inevitably expand. The initiators of the attack, whoever they were, probably understood and realized this perfectly well now. It is a large-scale conflict that is quote-unquote ordered, as Gidekin writes here, and initiated. And here, here he, he... he goes into the madness. I mean, once he was like talking just about the, the military situation there, as usual, you know, as, as Girkin does, once he talks about military situation, he's reliable, he knows, what, he knows what's up, he knows his tactics, but then he decides to delve his little idiotic head into the world of global politics. So prepare for some extremely cringe-level statements in the following. This is going to be, wow, awful. Getting on. I believe that the initiators of the conflict are outside the region and probably not directly connected with any state authorities of the countries that will be involved in it. 
Objectively, a major war in the Middle East is beneficial to the globalist structures based in the United States, as it will continue the cause of the Arab Spring, bringing various unaffected states out of stability and plunging them into chaos, as well as restoring a high level of tension in those regions where, after the last crisis, there was a relative calm and economic and social recovery began. In addition, the war will inevitably deal the heaviest, however not fatal, blow to the European Union, provoking both large-scale internal conflicts, I just don't know where exactly, and new waves of migration from the war-torn region. That could possibly be true, though. And uh, getting on. The New World, primarily the United States and its globalist financial elites, which expect to remain an island of stability in the conditions of the shrinking of the golden billion, stands to gain. To what extent this will be possible is another question. And then he notes, I have serious doubts about it. In any case, the process of reformatting the world system has already started and it's unlikely to be stopped. I, of course, don't believe him because that's that's full conspiracy theory, but then he at least goes back to some sort of evolution of the conflict and goes back to military terms here, which he, he deems point two. Scenario of conflicting, conflict unfolding by stages. One. Invasion of Gaza by Israeli ground forces that leads to humanitarian catastrophe, that leads to wave of indignation in all surrounding Arab countries, fraught with destabilization of the situation and the choice of governments of a number of states between two options of catastrophe. A. Entry into external war in one way or another, or B. Civil war within themselves. Prowl candidates here are Syria, Jordan, and Egypt. 2. Entry into armed conflict by Hezbollah from the territory of Lebanon, possibly also the beginning and res- or resumption of civil war in Lebanon itself. Resumption of civil war in Syria, whose authorities at this stage will try to avoid participation in the conflict. 3. Israeli retaliatory strikes on Hezbollah in Lebanon and Syria, drawing Syria into the war on the fact that though on the fact of these strikes, growing military confrontation between the United States and Iran on the territory of Syria and Iraq, likely to culminate in an exchange between of strikes between Israel and Iran. 4. Exchange of blows between the United States and Iran, the full rolling into war of the entire region, Turkish intervention in Syria, possible military crash clashes between Turkey and Iran in Transcaucasia. 5. Formation of a coalition led by the United States against Iraq. I, I think he means Iran here, but, you know, if he, he wrote Iraq, but I truly, truly think that that's just, a, you know, he's sitting in prison and not being very lucid, so I presume he meant Iran, but as he wrote Iraq... I should probably write, because in the very next sentence he writes, Israel's nuclear strike against Iran is not excluded. I highly doubt that there's going to be nukes involved, but, you know, this is Gitkin, and we all know how crazy that man can get. Six, expansion of the war beyond the Middle East region. The realization of stages one to three seems almost inevitable. Stages four to six, their probability depends to a greater extent on the readiness of the United States to directly enter a military conflict with unpredictable global consequences. We are talking about the readiness of the United States elites to consolidately enter into extremely risky strategy of retaining the United States military, political, and economic leadership under the slogan, if now, then never again. Here, however, he kind of forgets that Russia is in a very much worse situation, which is pretty horrendous on its own, to be honest. But again, drawing our attention to, well, the Ukrainian war, he writes, quote, Meanwhile, for Russia, avoiding participation in the conflict is absolutely necessary. Even though sacrifices and losses of previously occupied prestigious, although completely useless and even harmful from the point of view of national interests, positions. This is the only way to avoid internal conflict and hope to win the war in Ukraine. Any participation in the conflict at any stage, at any point where it will unfold, is fraught not only with our 
local defeat, but also with a real world war, in which the chances of simply surviving are absent from the word go. In conclusion, we can state that breaking the seals that keep the Middle East from catastrophe is not beneficial to any major nation-state of the old world, and especially to the Russia-China-Iran coalition. Objectively, it is extremely dangerous even for the United States and simply murderous for the EU, since the chances of losing in it are extremely high and the possibility of gaining something is very minimal. Hence the involuntary appeal to the eschatological background of events and suspicions of a conspiracy reason for the launch of the long-standing tangle of conflicts. And yes, I don't believe in the failure of the intelligence agencies, Israel, USA, at all. In my personal opinion, we're looking at a carefully planned and executed provocation involving, among others, very influential structures both in Israel and far beyond its borders. Now, now to analyze this, just, just a bit. Not going to give it too much, but uh, just a slight analysis here. Igor Gerken, just like many others of his peers and in Russia and in all those you know, so-called patriotic circles who are these... Z propagandists and all these folks, they simply cannot accept the fact that sometimes events happen just because they always need to have this bigger world conspiracy. It's because they're in their own worldview they are these, you know, justice fighters and warriors who are always standing for the little guy, and even though somehow Russia manages to be the little guy, but whatever, doesn't matter. They are Gloria Sembar, but still the little guy. Look, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense, and I'm not gonna even pretend it does. Thing is they need some conspiracies, they need something bigger always happening, and they're looking at the world stage with extremely paranoid eyes, always looking, always breaking one of the most most important rules that you know you should you should never attribute to malice what could be attributed to stupidity or just stupid mistakes. For for them, everyone's always pushing the levers, and you know if uh, if someone would be pushing all the levers all the time, then I think we'd live in a better world, basically. But you know, Igor Girkin's observations about how this whole conflict to evolve, now that does deserve a bit of attention here. But currently, what things to watch is, well, if Victor manages to get back from his, well, he, if he, I hope he doesn't get into any trouble. I want him on a show, want to talk about this. Secondly, I really am confused about how Iran will cooperate uh, with Russia in this situation as they're kind of friendly-ish, but not really, and this could, this could get messy. And finally, I wonder how the Russia will actually react to all the situation when um, Israel starts its own movement. By the way, Russia is just again Mr. Putin is now he he now decided to blame uh, in this forum uh, because of which you know as I was recording I found out that because of which the the garages were welded shut. Turns out that he has now condemned the anti-doping agency and again you know calling for yet again more world conspiracies because it's always some sort of world conspiracy. Instead of say taking some responsibility and you know admitting your own mistakes, that simply seems that is not even dealt in the cards with Mr. Putin. He does not even consider such situations. We live in interesting times, uh, comrades. It's a uh, it's a bit of a mess everywhere, basically. And uh, that's it for today. We'll be keeping watch on everything, give you more updates, give you more news, and figure out how everything works. До свидания, товарищи. As always, remember, happiness is mandatory.